Hi, Gail. Hey, Luiso. How are you? I am good. How are you? Well, I'm fine, but I want to dig in there. How are you actually? Oh, the actually, actually. Mm. It's up and down. I think that's as normal as it gets, no? Well, the world is a pretty strange place, but I think this episode could be just what you need to help you through the ups and downs. Okay, let's get into it then. The ups and downs episode. Up and down. Hi, I'm Luisa Matinga. And I'm Gail Galley. And this is An Idiot's Guide to Saving the World, the podcast for anyone who cares about building a better world but doesn't know where to start. We are on a mission to get everyone on board to achieve the global goals. Now, there are 17 goals that the world promised to deliver by 2030. And although we are nearly halfway to the deadline, we are not halfway to achieving them. Mm, So let's get to work on ending poverty, protecting our forests and providing clean energy for everyone. The big stuff. All the big stuff. This week, we're going to explore mental health and some ideas for how we might begin to improve it. We're joined today by BAFTA award-winning actor Will Poulter and anti-bullying campaigner Alex Holmes to explore what's causing a mental health crisis in young people and in men. If we can shape things in the current masculinity model away from those kind of problematic ideas, you know, I think eradicate this idea that talking about your mental health makes you weak or there's something inherently wrong with you. You know, 150 million children aged 13 to 15 every year are affected by bullying. So this is about actually empowering young people to be the ones that really shape attitudes and change behaviours. And as the psychedelic industry grows as a potential solution to this, we ask Indigenous health advocate Sutton King, how can we make sure that we don't make the same mistakes as we've made in the past? Indigenous peoples were stewards of the land. We are now owners of the land. And this concept that Columbus could come and say, I discovered what we called Turtle Island. You know, when we were already here with our ways of being and knowing is exactly what we're seeing within the psychedelic renaissance and patents. And how can you patent a plant when Earth owns the plant? So today we are going to be talking about global goal number three, good health and well-being. But actually we're going to delve into the unusual sides of that goal, not talking about vaccines or hospitals or non-communicable diseases. We are going to be talking about mental health. Mm-hmm. And so, Louisa, I'll ask you one more time. You good? I think I am. I think I am when I remember to be good. You know, like, oh, i got to get some sunshine today in my eyes. That That always helps the the mood lift. It's, it's things you don't think about. Like you don't think about feeling good until you've got your other stuff done. It's like, oh, let me pay the bills. And then if I have time this weekend, I'll, I'll do something that feels good. How are you feeling? Really? Well, you see, I feel very lucky because in general, I think I am an optimistic, sunny kind of nature. I live with a couple of males uh-huh. in my household who definitely get affected by SAD. You know, do you know that seasonal affected disorder. Oh, the sads. Yeah, the sads. Yes. And it's been a long winter, I think. And, and obviously not all is well with the world either. So I, I observe this around me and I feel for them. Do, do you struggle from it? Yes, sads. It's linked to the man flu. It's one of those aggravating side effects of oh. the man flu that uh, women do not do not take seriously. <laughs> seriously enough for my liking, you know, because what happens is we get sick and then we, we can't do anything. And you know us men, if we're not doing something, we're mm. not worth anything. And then mm. the sads come in. 
Now, now we're coughing and crying at the and same the, time. And who it's wants horrible. That? It's really yeah, horrible. Then you're never going to take the rubbish out. That's that's useless. <laughs> but seriously, we are going to get into a bit of mental health in men today. I never know whether women and men do struggle differently with mental health, or whether we're just us women, as in many things, better equipped to deal with it because we talk to our friends, because we don't dwell on it. I don't know. I, I have a really open relationship with my friends. Like we talk about our feelings all the time. Even in talking about your feelings, sometimes because we're not surrounded by the language and the ways to talk about it, even in our attempt at talking about it, we just fall short on it. You know what I mean? Like your friend can only go, man, yeah, I hear you. How was the game last night, huh? That was also a bummer. Jeez, that ah, can't so There's no depth to your tools to sort of support each other. You, you'd love to, but you just don't have the language sometimes. And then there is the thing of manning up by society. So there's that pressure on the outside going, okay, now that you've weirdly said all these weird emotions of yours, can we man up quickly and take out Gail's trash, please? Uh, it's true. <laughs> I think we're still evolving into a situation where we want men to talk about their feelings. I don't know. I think I've moved on this. I think until really thinking about this goal and realizing that mental health is not central to goal number three, buried in the target. When I think about global goal number three, I think malaria, I think hospitals, I think children dying of uh -huh. preventable diseases. The mental health question, which I have heard raised more and more recently, that one I used to think was a bit of a, a soft kind of, yeah, sure, we'll get to that one. But I think there's been so much really good understanding and dialogue recently, not least by one of our semi-heirs to the throne. I think we're beginning to realize its profound impact on all the other health targets. In fact, all the other targets. You know, if you're struggling with your mental health, how are you going to get to school on time? You know, how are you going to have decent work and economic growth? How are you going to achieve gender equality if you're just so bloody depressed? You can't stand up for yourself. How are you even going to care about the other 17 goals, let alone just yeah, other right. health. Because, yeah, if you're not good, then there's nothing that's throwing you forward into doing good. And I mean, like, I look at my home country of South Africa and I go, man, if there's one thing my country needs, it's it's a therapy. It's a lot of right. therapy. Because just this morning I was reading somebody's, you know, posted about their abusive father who you know put a gun against the mom. And I'm like, well, I know the story for a few people. And I go, well, then that's, that's linked to gender-based violence. And that's linked to, you know, the bravado of manliness that then, you know, it all adds up. And without our mental health, which I think people think of it as like, are you happy? And it's like, no, are you okay in your head to help us be a better world? Yeah, right. It's core, isn't it? But what we're seeing now is like next level. I think it's anxiety. It's crippling. And then is it coming out in ways that are, you know, fueling stuff like Andrew Tate and, you know, really nasty misogyny from young men who just feel so low and lonely, I think. They find their tribe wherever they can find it. We haven't touched on social media and its impact on mental health. I can't imagine being a kid right now, a teenager going through that. It affects me badly. And it's really great that we have our next guests on the show because I really want to start with the idea of youth because I think that's the, when, you know, when we all go to our shrinks, that's the, that's the part where we realize, oh, that's where it all started. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about your mother. Yeah. <laughs> so Will and Alex, welcome to the podcast. Can you introduce yourselves to our listeners? Starting with Alex. My name's Alex and I'm Deputy CEO at a non-profit called the Diana Award. 
in memory of Princess Diana. We believe that young people can change the world. Hi there, I'm Will Poulter. I'm uh, an actor and I'm also an ambassador for the Diana Awards and Anti-Bullying Pro. And I'm Alex's mate, basically, before anything else. And thank you very much for having yeah, me. Yeah, that's the most important job. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to start with you, just you being a person in the public eye. Mm-hmm. Social media is something you have to be on, obviously, trolls and all. <laughs> You're now decided to use the platform to talk about mental health and not just be out there with your apps. <laughs> what is the thing that made you decide that? Like, I'm going to talk about mental health on the mental health causing apps. It was a complicated sort of balancing act for me. It was about being highly specific about how I was using it. I've made a kind of relatively concrete rule with myself, which is that I use social media solely for the purpose of profiling the collaborations that I am lucky to be a participant of with organizations such as Alex's, like Anti-Bullying Pro and the Diana Award, using social media purely to kind of focus on those sorts of things and not for personal promotion or anything else. And what that does is it allows me to feel like I'm kind of maximizing the potential of my social media because I can kind of feel good about the output But I also do it in such a way where I'm not necessarily exposing myself to so many of the trolls that you mentioned, hopefully. And so I'm using social media in a way that works for me. And that's also not to say that the way that anyone else uses it is wrong. It's just a balance that I've struck that, you know, is it feels sustainable, to be honest. I was just thinking about I'm I'm a mum now of of two children and one of them is old enough to be on social if he wants. And you, you are actually in one of my favourite films, Son of Rambo. I realise you're about sort of oh. four years old when you did that, but I love it. <laughs> but what Thank that film you. reminded me of is, in many ways, growing up is meant to be a little bit shit. You know, you're meant to have ups and downs. It comes with the territory. It's teaching you for a life as a grown-up. But when you chuck social media into that, is that one of the things that might be fueling a mental health crisis? And Alex, I'll ask you about this in terms of the bullying work that you do. Do you think social media is driving that and making it worse? You know, you can't get away from it now. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, just in the UK, I think it's 99% of all households with a child aged 0 to 17 have the internet and have access to it. And that's a big difference from when I was growing up and we had dial-up broadband internet. Yeah, remember it made that terrible noise. And if my mum was using the phone, (laughs) I couldn't use the internet. Things were that bad. So now you can yeah not only be compounded with comparing like who's got the best trainers or the best lifestyle at school now when you get home most young people are spending anywhere from sort of three to six hours when when they get home from school on social media so it really can make you feel like you're missing out that you don't have perhaps some of the highlights that you're seeing on social media but we know of course like Those are the things that are being curated and presented and and they're not always that sort of reachable aspect. But it's much tougher uh, growing up, particularly like when you feel like you're missing out or perhaps your life isn't as great as some of the lives that you're seeing online. So it definitely feeds into that sort of poor mental health and maybe that perception of yourself and whether you belong. And I guess that has made even worse, I guess, with uh, with, uh, the trolls. It's like these days we have increased access to our bullies and speaking of i mean, like bullies have been around forever but now you know now they don't even have faces they just have they just bring hurt and alex you you got into the the space of um, activism through your own personal experiences with bullying like can you tell us more about that and, and how it 
and how you're, you're working now to help young people? Yeah, I think global goal for quality education is so important, mm. partly because we spend 11,000 hours of our life at school, the sort of average uh, young person. So it's a huge amount of time. And if one of those hours you're made to feel upset, unsafe or comfortable, uh, you're, you're, you're bullied, then the studies are showing that you remember that for the rest of your life. And, and one study by King's College looked at seven and 11 year olds that were exposed to bullying and tracked them all the way up to age 50. And those 50 year olds that had been bullied at school had poor mental health, poor job prospects, lacked the ability yes. to trust other adults in the workplace, all from that experience at school. Unfortunately, I, I went through that. I went through some racist bullying. So my dad's black, his family's from Jamaica, and then my mum's white, her side, a little bit more distance from Spanish, uh, Spain. And so I've got that sort of um, Spanish and Jamaica mix. And unfortunately, I received some racist remarks about that. And then when I joined secondary school, it was mostly homophobic bullying. Uh, it was sort of perceived then because I wasn't necessarily comfortable with my sexuality. It really did make me feel like I didn't want to put my hand up in class. I didn't really want to socialise. It affected my relationship with my parents and I had trusted relationships with. So that that sort of pain, I think, gave me a real purpose. And you, you talked about that sort of solutions. One of the biggest things that Will and I are really passionate about is, is peer support. And actually social media brought Will and I together. I reached out to him on Twitter. Uh, he knows mm. how to use that platform very well. Talk about irony, he, right? He uh, replied. <laughs> that was 10 years ago when I started this sort of, um, well, over 10 years ago now, this peer support program when I was sort of age 16, which trains young people to be anti-bullying ambassadors whose job it is to protect themselves and their peers from the harmful impact of school-based bullying and violence, um, which unfortunately um, UNICEF has said that, you know, 150 million children aged 13 to 15 every year are affected by, by bullying. So this is about actually empowering young people to be the ones that really shape attitudes and change behaviours. So we've definitely seen that idea of, and I think it, it plays in adults as well, you always sort of look up to your peers, you're more likely to speak to somebody who's maybe from a similar situation to yourself. And that's our sort of programme really, all about sort of empowering young people to be anti-bullying ambassadors and, and Will's been part of sort of supporting that and it's spread, you know, across the globe. Oh, I love that because I think I was a little bit bullied, but not in school. So I loved school because I was bullied outside of school. So school was a refuge. I think if you're being bullied and you feel like there's no way out, it must be so awful. And so I'm sure what you're doing is having a huge impact. I'd like to raise the issue of boys and girls or men and women. What do you guys think is going on with men? Because I, it feels, I don't know whether it's getting worse for guys, not just bullying, mental health, all of it, or whether you're just talking about it more. Or is it that it's equal, but that girls find it easier to talk to each other about it? Like, it definitely feels like there's a crisis in male mental health. What is going on between this, the genders, do you think? I think it's a really, really complicated issue. A lot of the things in the current masculinity model, which is always kind of evolving, a lot of them suppress, you know, male expression. A lot of the pre-existing ideas around what it is to be a man are synonymous with, you know, not showing emotion, with not crying, you know, these expressions, I boys don't cry. And I can recall very well, you know, being at school and people sort of bragging about the fact that they, you know, they had gone such a long period of time without crying. And I was there thinking, I cried yesterday. Is there something 
desperately wrong with me? And, <laughs> and, and why is this given so much currency? The masculinity model is, is constantly evolving, but I think if we can shape it away from those kind of problematic ideas about emotional expression, I think one of the things that makes it particularly complicated with regards to men is there are certain things that I think in the context of a patriarchy, it's hard to turn around as a man and legitimately feel as though you are being sort of discriminated against with regards to mental health because at the end of the day, women didn't establish these rules. Women didn't create a society where men are supposed to be one way and one way only. To a, to a large extent, men have kind of created that for ourselves. We have, you know... Mm painted that role for ourselves and and we are kind of sort of living up to it to a degree so it's incumbent on us to i think you know do the work to be able to as i say reshape the masculinity model and i i i quite honestly think that you know women set a very good example as to how we might be able to do that i really want to jump off of that because that's brilliant because um to go back to alex and and say in the work that you do with, with the bullying that, and you said you saw an effect of less incidence of it, it seems like we were talking with Gail before this about how men don't necessarily have the language. And it's great that you brought up the, when you guys educated people on bullying, you saw the effect of it declining. Were there things that you saw as you were doing your programs where you're like, oh, I think the kids, where you saw them like learning something, what were the kind of moments where you're like, how do they not know how to identify this in others or in themselves? Were there those kinds of learnings on the road? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think words are really powerful and they matter. And one of the things that we're most proud of is um, changing the dictionary definition of the word bullying. So when you used to look up bullying, it used to describe it as happening to people that were weaker. And we thought that was wrong. So we started a campaign where we wanted the dictionary companies to change the definition and People like Will, Millie Bobby Brown, other individuals came together to uh, highlight that the fact that we thought that built into the sort of stigma that there is around uh, feeling uh, vulnerable and and that's okay or or appearing slightly uh, different and particularly for men and boys that is an issue. So we campaigned and and one by one the dictionary companies slowly uh, changed their definition. And so now when you look up the word bullying in the dictionary, no longer are you defined as being weaker if it's happening to you and we think that's really important because there's a huge amount of stigma that you know men and young boys in particular face uh, around when they're different what else can we do then to help these young men who are struggling with their mental health will i read an interview with you in prep for this interview where you were talking about physical fitness you know and alex do you find that as well like the, is the relationship i think is very interesting between mental fitness and physical fitness and and, and i would add the, the natural world into that as well actually like if you can bring those things back together. Do you think that's something that we can help and support young men with? What's both of your experiences with that? I think I think there is a lot of work to be done in that space, especially as, you know, mental health is not kind of treated with the same level of respect and care that, you know, physical health concerns are, which which is baffling to me. So I'm a big proponent of talking about mental health as physical health. And I think one of the things that I encourage among my friend group of, of men and one of the things that, you know, I regularly do with my male friends and, and they kind of offer this up to me is we check in with each other regarding our mental health. You know, we, we, we regularly ask ourselves those questions. And I think 
Another really, you know, important thing to try and kind of bear in mind is that it's important not to make, you know, assumptions that the person who appears to be mentally well doesn't need a check-in or doesn't need that question about how their brain is feeling. You know, how's your how's your how's your head lately? Other ways, other phrasings, you know, because I think sometimes, you know, how is your mental health can sometimes get people's back up and it's maybe only because it is so stigmatized so just trying to think of other ways to to word it i think can be um can be effective and then with regards to physical exercise certainly i've found the natural endorphin rush of you know exercising to be hugely beneficial to my mental health amazing stress buster i really only continue to go to the gym and work out physically away from any job that i might have to do or the physical requirements of a job because it sort of sustains me mentally and it's a it's a great natural it's a great natural high i've just had a light bulb go off there will thank you for that we're talking about language being so important and you're right if you say to someone how's your mental health how's your brain doing how's your head men are used to saying how's you this how's you that in in that kind of physical way like you say how's your I don't know what do you say. How's your bench press? What do you ask people in that gym? That kind of thing. <laughs> right, when right. You, yeah, you might do. What's your yeah. brain benching these days? Do you men days? ask each other things? Depression? How do they speak? No, you know what I mean? Like, if you can turn it into that, it's so powerful. It's such a little shift. Mental fitness. It's important. Yeah. yeah, Will's never asked me, like, how, how my bench press is going, but, but he has asked me, like, how, how I'm doing and how my brain's doing. He's really good at, like, checking in. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of um, something called expressive writing. So it's this idea that, uh, it's a simple tip that where you maybe set aside 15 minutes three times a week to write down things that are keeping you up or you're worrying about. And it comes from this professor at the University of Texas who found that when people sort of set time to write it out and express how they're feeling, um, it improved everything from um, individuals with asthma, kind of controlled their asthma or exam scores went up. Wow. And I think often when you're when your foot's sort of facing something that's playing on your mind that and that matters that communicating part is really important it's not always about speaking to someone you know it might be your your dog that you talk to it might be writing out it might be sending a text message uh, i think there's a lot of ways that you can communicate that the, the most important thing is not suffering in silence i think absolutely true that I'm going to say that was such an enjoyable Fantastic. conversation. Thank you. These conversations are being had, had in many ways and it's sometimes hard to find new things, new learnings, new insights or ways to, you know, uh, help yourself and help others. And we got a lot from you guys. So thank you very much. No, it's a pleasure. Thank you. I really, Stay really well. enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you, Russ. Oh, weren't they just the nicest young men? And the fact that they're friends and the fact that they found each other on social media, online, because Alex reached out to Will. Yeah, it really was. I mean, you, 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 we have to be grateful to the bullies to have brought them together. Um, <laughs> yeah, thanks, guys. <laughs> now who's winning? Mm -hmm. Thanks, thanks, bullies. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. That was like another tool you can have in this mental fitness thing. It, it's, I, I love, the, I love the, the parallel between the two because it's sometimes you don't want to do curls every day. Sometimes you want to hit a leg day. And just learning about small things like writing down what your anxieties are once or three times a week, knowing that that's an effective tool or finding friends you can just share with, you know, learning to open up and having all these different ways to help your daily fitness. We don't. And I enjoyed thinking about where it all starts, i.e. school, how impactful what happens to you at school is 
and the fact that for boys in particular that that valve is shut down like mm-hmm. do not show your feelings too strongly to mm-hmm. when you're young because of other biases that are prevalent in the uh, generation above them you know so i think as ever lots of these things stem from education but in the soft sense on and this one just let's let the boys know it's okay to feel and it's okay to talk it reminds me of in the gender space how we really need men to be listening to the women's issues in this one we really need the women to be listening to the guys because i think sometimes we are the ones that are holding them in that place where they don't think it's all right to talk and we just need to say guys it's cool to talk about your emotion we want you to do that it's going to be better for you oh for sure yeah patriarchy is something we are all involved in we all have a hand in and you know it drives a lot of us to the point where you know if you can't speak up if you don't have the support around you you end up at the bar where all the other guys are we're boozing it up we're drugging it up and that is not where any mental health issue is solved but saying that there are solutions medically and i'm not just talking about going to a rehab or oxy something that's supposed to make you better we're going back in time we're going indigenous we're going to the land psychedelics from things like mushrooms and all these other fascinating plants are coming back in vogue or at least being introduced into modern day society as a real medical solution to a lot of our mental issues this is becoming a really big topic on all the places that i talk about and listen to mental health issues and medication psychedelics is the the new thing that we're rushing into right like crazy i i heard about millions of dollars being invested by the pharmaceutical industry into these mm. new medicines into the peyotes and the uh, ayahuascas of this world but i'm really glad that we've got our next guest on because she can tell us how to do that responsibly susan king is the co-founder and president of the urban indigenous collective and that's an ngo advocating on behalf of native americans living in urban areas making sure that they get the culturally appropriate healthcare that they need She's also part of the Indigenous Medicine Conservation Fund, and that is protecting those indigenous medicines like ayahuasca and peyote, make sure that the West don't get too much of it or extract it in such a fashion that is unjust or unsustainable. But let's listen to how she introduced herself. Uh Poso Sakoli Sutton King Naktao Pinuki Nyukatsungwa Hawaii Ni'i Waknata Nawagitolota Oniotaaga Ni'i. So hello relatives. Uh, that's me introducing myself in the Oneida language. What do I do? Who am I? So I'm Afro-Indigenous. I come from the Menominee and Oneida Nations of Wisconsin. Um, I would really see myself as an Indigenous rights activist, um, a social entrepreneur, a public speaker. I wear many different hats uh, as Indigenous women oftentimes do. Wow. That was amazing. Sutton, thanks so much for joining us. Mm, thank you for having me. At this episode, we're trying to look at mental health and within that, a frame of the kind of the use increasingly and certainly in our community and in the West on psychedelics, plants, healing. But just to like stay back up that very general mental health piece, what is it that you can share with us of indigenous communities who have maybe left their lands and are living in places like you? What is it about their particular mental health that is troubling? Is it also in crisis? What is it your learning is bespoke? to that community um, and, and, and how can you bespokely help them? 
So indigenous peoples, we have our own laws. We have our own self-determination and sovereignty. And so what happened was we had the United States government say, move to urban areas. We promise you resources. We promise you opportunities, which I would say were supposed to be sacred bargains. And so today, 70%, over 70% of Native Americans live in urban areas. However, when we got here to urban areas, those resources just didn't exist. Native Americans are the only group of individuals who are actually born with a legal right to free health care. But what we see with Indian Health Service, the federal agency tasked with providing culturally appropriate health care to Native Americans. And there is such a limitation and gap in funding to provide the adequate health care necessary to be able to support Indigenous peoples where they're actually at. And we're dealing with, you know, astronomical rates of suicide, PTSD, chronic illness, uh, poverty. And so when you think about it, you know, this sacred bargain isn't being honored. What have you learned along the way that, you, that you're doing that you could implement beyond the community itself, that you go, the world could use this information? Because there's a lot of knowledge with Indigenous peoples all around the world that is, you know, human and not just uh, uh, set for one culture. I think the Western worldview is really this compartmentalized view of the body, right? We break the arm, so we just fix the arm, but we don't ask about why did we break the arm and what are the impacts after breaking the arm? However, the indigenous worldview, which is really looking at the medicine wheel, the entire body, the mind, the spirit, right? And in our beliefs, each must be in balance and equally developed in order to remain healthy and happy. Again, what we're seeing right now is the Western world starting to indigenize, right? holistic healthcare. We're in the psychedelic renaissance. And so we're seeing this indigenizing happening, but we are missing a step. We're missing a step of decolonizing, right? We can't just start using these medicines or start using these words of holistic without actually doing the words of decolonizing, right? To really be able to create a safe container. So for example, you see people who are going to go sit in medicine circles and they are going to go sit to do ayahuasca. But then they come back to New York City into this community that doesn't center kinship, doesn't center the seven generations of principles of sustainability. They're being re-traumatized, right? And so it is our responsibility as a collective to dismantle and disrupt uh, Western ideologies of white supremacy and settler colonization um, that is actually fueling this mental health crisis that we see, as well as climate change. Oh, my God. I mean, you just said everything there. That's just everything, (laughs) isn't it? I definitely think that the Western view of psychedelics, plant-based medicine, indigenous culture, full stop, is still being looked at as an extractive relationship, isn't it? It's like, what can we take from that to fix ourselves? And I just think that's so beautiful the way you put that, which is let's let's get the step in the middle done. Do you look at that sort of pillaging again on on the medicine side? And what are your feelings about that when you see all these sort of, you know, I'm stereotyping here, but all these rich Westerners flying off to the ayahuasca retreat, you know, deep in Ecuador and then coming back and back to the extractive jobs? Like, what, what do you think your community sees when they look at that? And what do they feel? Yeah, well, you know, we're not a monolith. And so a lot of different biocultures have many different perspectives. However, my opinion, and is that one, I want to hold space that the collective is hurting. 
And, you know, I want to see healing for everyone, but there's a right way to go about that. I think we really have to consider climate change and the ecological threats to a lot of these medicines, right? For example, we're seeing an ecological threat to peyote. We're seeing ecological threats to the toad where people are really sourcing DMT. There are solutions. There are synthetic versions. There's also sustainable ways to source these medicines. And I think if we are going to be participating in this healing, we have to respect the traditional indigenous communities Mm. who've protected and stewarded this medicine for time immemorial. And so if we are going to be, you know, a part of this psychedelic renaissance or movement, we have to honor the plight of indigenous peoples. We have to look at the impact of settler colonization and climate change and where we're at today. And we have to use this medicine responsibly. And so I think that there's a balance in which we can really be able to bring this healing to humanity to raise consciousness. There is the risk in psychedelics and um, traditional healing of the world of patents. Mm. I mean, like, it's a strange thing that you, you can just find something that already existed and then patent it. And then you run the danger of then the exclusivity of medicine. Yeah. How do we make sure we protect this knowledge so that it cannot be owned by the few? Yeah, well, you know, indigenous peoples were stewards of the land. Mm. We are not owners of the land, right? And this concept that Columbus could come and say, I discovered uh, the United States, I discovered what we call Turtle Island. You know, when we were already here with our ways of being and knowing, is exactly what we're seeing within the psychedelic renaissance and patents. And how can you patent a plant when Earth owns the plant, Mm -hmm. right? And so, you know, there is a lot of discussion. There's a lot of disruption happening in this space. There's a lot of fear that Indigenous peoples are holding right now. While we're seeing these companies wanting to commodify and exploit these plants, this really comes down to free, prior, and informed consent, right? This comes from the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, right? And being able to sit down with these communities who are truly being impacted by this renaissance and being able to ask them what they want and how is the best way to go about this. So I think if you want to patent the synthetic, my humble opinion, go ahead, but do not patent the botanical because it does not belong to you and you did not discover it. I think the, there is that thing that's missing, which is what does a group look like when it when a group comes together to to heal, and so other groups that's can right. go, oh, maybe we could you know learn something from there and not just you know grab grab the shrooms and run. It's uh, it's like a, oh, this is how this is how you do the psychedelic pre. takeaway, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Well, absolutely, <laughs> you're absolutely right. And I think you know there's something I always share with people, which is the prophecy of the condor and the eagle. And that's the time that we're at. And it's this prophecy that speaks of the Americas actually splitting into two paths. And it's the eagle of the West and then the condor of the South. And it was said that the condor was seen as really like the heart or the intuition or the feminine, which I see as really like indigenous knowledge, ways of being and knowing. And the path of the eagle was really this path of the mind and the industrial, the masculine seen as this Western lens. and. It was said that the eagle people would nearly eliminate and eradicate the condor people, but that it was in 500 years, starting from 1990, 
that these paths would have the potential to come together again and create harmony and lock this new level of consciousness and humanity. But I want to emphasize the potential. (laughs) Not that this would happen, right? There's the potential. Mm. We have work to do, right? And Mm. it's this way that we can, the Western world can recognize the validity of indigenous worldviews and knowledge and perspectives, right? Because we have begun indigenizing, right? And we can achieve a new look of consciousness for humanity, but it does require the act of decolonizing. And it's really, really uncomfortable, right? Because then we start talking about reparations and land back and mm-hmm. what your great-grandfather might have did to my great-grandfather, right? And it's a lot of work to be done, but I, maybe I'm too optimistic, but I believe we can do it, you know? We just got to sit down and start having conversations like we're doing today. Oh, she's good. That has really given me pause for thought about the way at which we are running this world of new medicine, psychedelics, not because we mean to do it badly, but that decolonizing our perspective and the way that, you know, let's not rape the land of them because that's going to mess it up, right? We know that doesn't go well. We've done that with so many other parts of the natural world. Uh If we can just start thinking indigenizing, like Uh she said, as stewards of the land. Yeah. You know, and we're, we're almost like borrowing the plants to help, but we need to do it in such a fashion that we can put them back. We don't own them. Like, we don't, this is not capitalism in action. We need to indigenize. Exactly. And I think, I think we use the word, uh, whenever you have the word uh, decolonize, a lot of the time it feels like a, a pointy finger kind of a thing. But I think things like uh, colonization was something that happened to all of us in some kind of way. So we all need to just change our thinking of these kind of issues, you know, just to go, okay, cool. Let's not look at this new psychedelics movement in the same colonial capitalist way that we used to. It's like, let's truly for this time, this time, this time when we get the second chance, let's actually listen to indigenous people around the world. How can we integrate? How can we include you? Let's truly heal, right? Let's actually do it as a as opposed to yeah. trying to fix. Yes, let's all heal. Do you know this whole second series, I feel like, I'd like to know if you agree, the global goals give you 17 kind of things that you want to happen. I feel like what we're getting under the skin of here is why they haven't happened. Mm. So it's like, it's a deeper look at, yeah, we need good health. Maybe the yeah. reason we haven't got it, dot, dot, dot. Yeah, we need better design cities, but maybe the reason we haven't got it is blah, blah, blah. You know? It's almost like we're asking the question, who are we? Not yeah. just who we want to be. Because like, we have to figure that out first, too. It's like, who are we right now? Oh, we're we're all collectively victims of colonialism, bad mental health, certain um, aspects of our current lives. Capitalism did this to all of us. So we can finally go, oh, that's that's what we're actually trying to fix in ourselves uh, collectively for all, for for a way forward, rather than pointing figures and going, you use too much right. cobalt and you're burning too much. It's like. There is an us in all of this. And when we figure that out, I think we can finally start actually moving towards, not finally, because we also learned that we are moving towards them. We can move with better strides, with longer, more confident strides towards the goals. So so let's recap what we've learned today. Okay, we're going to go three, two, one, start the clock. Okay, boys need to talk about their feelings. And girls need to encourage them and to listen. Very true. And whether you are a young boy or uh, an indigenous community, it all starts with having open and honest conversations. It does. And they're really fun to have. Um, Uh Approach your mental fitness just like you would your physical fitness. There's no difference and there's no shame. Yes, get those reps in. Go back to the land and the traditional medicine, but not 
with the same old colonizing ways. Oh, absolutely. And educate yourself and respect the indigenous knowledge all around. Exactly. There are tools you can access to support your mental health and people too. Look up the anti-bullying program and do not suffer at all. Do not oh. suffer alone. That is the end. Time's up. But as ever, if you want to find out more, head over to globalgoals.org and click on goal three, where you'll find a whole load more great tips on how to get involved. And if you do need a little bit more information, check out our show notes from this episode for things like links and guides and tips. That's me, Loisa Matinga. And me, Gail Galley. Saying, see you next episode. Take care of yourself. Stay well. An Idiot's Guide to Saving the World is an audio production made in collaboration with Project Everyone. The producers were Yolaine Goffin, Eli Block, Ellie Winter-Taylor, and Iva Manley. The executive producer is Ellie DiMartino. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, share on your socials, and leave a review. It helps other people find us because we like being found. And the more people find us, the more people are saving the world. 